Welcome to NFP's Insights from the Experts podcast. Each episode showcases timely expertise and perspective from members of the NFP community, delivering information, analysis, and solutions that address our clients' most significant challenges. Hello, and welcome to the Benefits Compliance Podcast. I'm Chase Cannon. I'm here with my colleague, Suzanne Spradley. We are both attorneys with NFP's legal and compliance team, and we're on the podcast to help break down some of the tricky compliance issues that are in front of employers as they uh, work through their benefit plan strategies for employees. And uh, Suzanne, happy to be on today. Um, We're going to focus on some activity in the House and the Senate at the federal level uh, that's related to promotion of mental health. And um, so we're going to lean on you to walk us through a number of bills that have been put forth by uh, those two parts of Congress. So um, are you going to start in the House or the Senate? I say we start in the House. Yeah, yes. And we're actually going to predominantly focus on the House today. But on September 20th, the House Ways and Means Committee released legislative text for a very broad package of mental health and consumer protection bills. So it included five different mental health proposals, along with a bill that was to reauthorize the Maternal Infant and Early Child Home Visiting Program. I'm going to refer to that as M-I-E-C-H-V. Those in that industry may have a a better way to refer to that program, but that's how I'll refer to it. Um, And the reauthorization was named after Jackie Walorski, who is the late Congresswoman from Indiana, who recently died in a car accident. Hmm. Um, After the next day, which was September 21st, there was actually a unanimous recorded vote by voice vote Um, of the committee and the goal of really conducting this so swiftly was for the bill to be well positioned for inclusion in a year in legislative package during the lame duck session. And so these bills um, as written right now are not final. I mean, they are certainly open for additional revisions, but we'll walk through them as they've been presented um, and uh, highlight uh, some of what's being considered. Sounds great. Yeah, good background. Thanks for that. Um, Let's start with a brief summary of the bills impacting Medicare. Yeah, and I'll just hit on these very quickly because obviously most of our focus is on the private health insurance market, but I just want to give these um, a a little bit of attention. So again, we're talking about, when we talk about the package, it's in the form of a committee print. And just by background, this is a publication that's issued by congressional committees, and it includes topics that are related to their legislative or research activities. And and it could include, you know, a lot of other information, but they're an excellent resource for like statistical, historical information and for legislative analysis, but they're not always available to the public when they are. You can find them on the GovInfo page, which is www.govinfo.gov. So anyway, I'm going to refer to this package as a committee print. As as I mentioned earlier, there were five um, various sections of this. So the first section deals with Medicare, and it focused on improving payments and coverage for Medicare inpatient and outpatient mental health services. And it includes text for two bills. The first bill is H.R. 8879. It's called the Inpatient Psychiatric Facility Improvement Act. And it requires CMS to collect data related to mental health services and really the complexity of them. And so, for example, it looks at behavioral health monitoring for suicide ideations, 
violent behavior and the need for physical restraints. And on the substance abuse side, it looks at interventions like detoxification, total parenteral nutrition support, and dependence on renal dialysis. So you take all of this information under review to revise the payment rates for psychiatric hospitals and the psychiatric units. And then it also looks at the DRG classifications um, to review you know, some of these patient complexities. Uh, and to look for prior admissions to inpatient psychiatric facilities. So this is all with the idea of wanting to revise um, the Medicare payment rates and make sure that they line up with the complexities of some of these psychiatric issues. And then the second bill in this section is HR 8878, and it, it relates to improving payments for outpatient services, again, with the idea of taking into account some of the complexities associated um, with some of these conditions. Um, the second section of the committee print, again, there are five sections, relates also to Medicare, and it includes text from five different bills. Again, since we want to focus on the private health insurance market, I'm not going to go into these bills, but it generally includes coverage of marriage and family therapist services and mental health counselor services under Medicare Part B. Um, there's also some provider outreach provisions with respect to behavioral health integration. Uh, for reference, it's bills... HR 432, HR 8910, HR 8884, HR 8890, and HR 8908. So again, we're not going to go into those today, but just gives you some broad reference that there are some potential changes to Medicare in this area. Yeah, no, thanks for outlining that. It's always helpful to hear everything that's going on and this increase in um, coverage or uh, addressing mental health services is important to understand. Uh, but with that, we have a lot of bills to discuss. So let's move forward to some of these bills that may impact private insurers or group health plans. So the, the third section, again, out of five of the committee print, and it relates to H.R. 8891. That's called the No Surprises for Survivors Act. And it is was introduced on a bipartisan basis, which a lot of these actual provisions are. This one's co-sponsored by Representatives Gwen Moore, uh, who's a Democrat from Wisconsin, and Carol Miller, who's a Republican from West Virginia. And this is aimed to protect survivors of sexual violence from unexpected medical costs. So obviously, the last thing that someone needs to worry about is a you know, after experiencing a traumatic uh, event like a sexual assault is to get a surprise medical bill. Right. So this uh, this bill amends the Public Health Services Act, the PHSA, ERISA, and the Internal Revenue Code to require group health plans to provide um, coverage for forensic medical exams or rape kits, um, also for sexual assault nurse examiners or, or other providers that will furnish these types of, of exams with no cost sharing. So as a bit of a background, there are some states that already state that um, the state itself is responsible for incurring the full out-of-pocket costs related to these medical exams. And so in those states, the plan would not be required to pick up the cost, but they must provide notification to, to the individual that they may seek reimbursement from the state. If you think back to our no surprise billing provisions that have already been enacted, this would line up with those as well. So they would be treated as in-network, whether provided in-network or out-of-network, um, as if it was an emergency service. If we even take a step back prior to the... Um, Prior to that, we had other legislation, the Violence Against Women Act or the VAWA, and that authorized federal funds to be used for services that support victims of sexual assault 
in a way in which states or other entities had to provide no-cost forensic medical exams that were only administered by certain providers. And what we found through independent analysis and media reports was that some victims are still receiving bills for these services and they're left to pay for them out of pocket. So, um, for example, one of the um, analysis that was done was by Kaiser Family Foundation, and it conducted a review of private health insurance claims from large employers, and it found that two-thirds, or 66% of insured women who received a rape kit after a sexual assault faced out-of-pocket charges for these services. So that's, you know, that that's really not something that we want to incur. The average cost was $347, so it's, it's certainly not an amount that will make an impact uh, a huge impact on health plans, but it does support women who have faced such a trauma. So we, we want to make sure that that we are supporting these women. Absolutely. Yeah. So interesting. It's almost like it's a part of the preventive services that were under the ACA to cover those types of kits or exams uh, without cautionary. Right. That's you a good way of thinking of it. Yeah, well, that's a that's a very interesting one and one to keep an eye on for sure. And like you said, a very important one. So we'll keep an eye on that. You mentioned that under the VAWA, that Violence Against Women Act, it did have some a no cost forensic, but only from certain providers. And that's as we know in our world, that's that's hard because it's hard to locate providers a lot of times. You don't know which provider to go to. Usually you're just going to the one that you're most familiar with or that's most convenient. So that's a challenge, but I understand that there are also provisions in this law that improve provider directories. Right. Yeah. So this is in section four of the committee print. And this, this section really is um, designed to improve information in provider directories plan definitions and outreach regarding, of course, benefits of mental health and substance use disorder services. Um, as it relates to private health insurance plans. So again, the effort of this is just to improve patient access to these types of services. And it includes three different bills. So HR 8885 is the Better Healthcare Directories Act, and it's intended to build on the improvements that were made to provider directories in the No Surprises Act by requiring providers to tell health plans if they are no longer accepting new patients. I mean, that's an important thing for any enrollee to know in a health plan of, of which providers within their network are still accepting patients. And then HR 8886, promoting clarity in mental health and substance use disorder. And it requires private plans to provide consumers with more standardized data about their mental health benefits. So um, for example, it defines mental health disorder and substance use disorder to reflect those definitions that are found in the World Health Organization's, um, their statistical classification of diseases, and then also in the American Psychiatric Association's Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Health Disorder. So it's really just trying to standardize those definitions within the plan so that if you go plan to plan, they will remain the same and you won't get caught up under some unique a definition of what a mental health disorder is, mm. um, for example. And then third, there is HR 8892, and that's the Access to Mental Health Services Act. And again, it's intended to heighten the awareness and the availability of these services for individuals who, of course, are struggling with mental health on their own. So the coverage for mental health crisis services under private health insurance seems to vary widely. Um, in some areas, not having sufficient in-network providers. And so there would obviously be a restriction for access for patients without sufficient in-network providers. So 
The bill aims to bolster awareness by identifying these gaps in coverage under the private insurance and also to prevent surprise billing for mental health. So the landmark No Surprises Act that we've continually referred to provides federal consumer protections against surprise medical bills for all emergency services and certain non-emergency services. But um, when the DHS and Labor and Treasury reviewed it, they found that certain mental health crises that were falling outside of the definition of emergency services, and so they're not necessarily, um, so you're still seeing those out-of-pocket um, billing that's occurring, the surprise bills that are occurring with mental health services. So uh, this bill would require, for one, it's right now it's just trying to conduct kind of an analysis, really, of what's going on in the private health market. And it instructs DHS, Labor and Treasury to conduct an outreach campaign on all of the available mental health crisis services under private health insurance. And then it would require providers and health insurers to submit reports to Congress um, regarding their coverage. And it's identifying the barriers to access in some areas and, and some of the issues that are related to those unexpected surprise medical bills. So this one's really kind of more of a fact-finding mission in trying to identify where are the gaps, what are the issues. And I'm sure we would see further um, legislation um, after they gather that information. Yeah, you see this, uh, we've seen this a lot over the ACA and some other of the, the laws that were passed since then through the pandemic is just gathering information, right? Trying to get um, get their arms around what is happening and then that allows them to come up with, hopefully allows Congress to come up with uh, laws that are, that are helpful and meaningful. And so this sounds like it's a lot of info gathering. Um, what about Section 5 here? I think that includes two more mental health bills. Yeah, so the, la the last section does include two more bills, and it, and it relates to, again, trying to improve information that regards in-network coverage and their summary of benefits and coverage explanation documents, documents and private health insurance plans. So, uh, you see, so you're seeing kind of a pattern here, a lot around information, a lot around access, a lot around transparency, um, the first being HR 8881, the Mental Health Transparency Act, and it requires a group health plan to disclose, along with its summary of benefits and coverage, and on a public website, the number of providers that provide behavioral health and substance use disorder treatments who are in network in their service area. And then the, um, the agencies will establish a rating system to qualitatively ref reflect the breadth of a group health plan's network for these types of providers. So. In essence, your group health plan will be rated um, based on how well they're providing coverage for these types of services in their area. And then this is the second bill, HR 8889, is the Readable Insurance Coverage Enhancement Act, and it requires certain information to be provided to the agencies in machine-readable files related to mental health providers. Again, its aim is at gathering more information about um, networks and mental health providers in certain areas. So uh, certainly a pattern here of what we're seeing out of Congress as it relates to mental health, uh, relates to access, transparency, information, um, all of that in various forms. Right. Interesting. And then before we get to the Senate, um, let's talk about a final act in the House that relates to uh, reauthorization. 
Right. So I mentioned earlier the MIECHV that I'm I'm going to refer to. And, and first of all, let me give background on that. That was the bill that supports pregnant women and parents with young children who live in communities who face greater risks and barriers to achieving that positive maternal and child health outcome. So um, families that choose to participate in the home visiting program and partner with health and social services will you, you know, focus on topics such as supporting healthy pregnancy practices, uh, providing information on breastfeeding and safe sleep, um, and preventing unintended child in, injuries and nutrition and encouraging early language development and early learning at home and teaching positive parenting skills like reading and playing and praising good behaviors and working with caregivers to set goals for um, the education of their children. So all of these are very important topics. Um, and so really, this is just a great program, um, but it needed reauthorization. And so the reauthorization, again, is the Jackie Walorski Maternal and Child Home Visiting Reauthorization Act. Um, and it was set to expire on September 30th, 2022, if, if this reauthorization was not done. The funding is mandatory, so it's not subject to the annual appropriations bill. Um, but this three reauthorization is five years and it increases the annual funding level to 800 million in 2027. And it provides uh, some additional investment in that relates to, for example, the Alaskan Indian and Alaskan native communities by providing additional funding there because there, there's a, you know, that's an area that really has some inequities as it relates to parental um, provisions. And um, it also it authorizes the use of virtual visits as a model enhancement to help reach more families, that, particularly those that are like out in rural areas. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, we have, have to reauthorize it and then modernize a little bit, right? It's nice to hear when they do that, actually. Sometimes laws get uh, enacted, maybe they don't have an expiration, and then we're stuck with some of these older rules that are hard to deal with in a modern, modern uh, world. But that... <clears throat> That is a lot of movement in the mental health space um, and a lot of movement in the House. So let's take a quick look at activities in the Senate. Can you? Yeah, and I won't go into too much detail here, but on the 22nd of September, the Senate Finance Committee leaders released their third discussion draft that addresses mental health policy challenges. And, and earlier in the year, we had, again, a bipartisan group. It was Chairman Wyden, who's the Democrat from Oregon, and Ranking Member Crapo which is the uh, Republican from Idaho, um, who announced five key areas that they would be addressing, which was improving access for children and young people, furthering the use of telehealth, ensuring parity, strengthening the workforce, and increasing integration, coordination, and access. So again, all of this relates to mental health. And so we will watch for any developments in this area and uh, in another, possibly another podcast, we'll, we'll dig into this in a bit more detail. Okay, sounds great. And I know everybody wants to hear about telehealth because we're hoping that Congress will extend at least that telehealth exception when it comes to HSA right. uh, eligibility. And that's a big issue for employers as well. So we'll continue to monitor that. To monitor that. Suzanne, none of the stuff we have talked about today is actually law, right? This is all no, this, yes, no, a good point. This is certainly, these are bills that are just um, being discussed in Congress. And so again, they certainly have, they, they are intended to be included in a legislative package in the lame duck session. So they are trying to push them through rather quickly, but um, there doesn't seem to be a lot of um, significant uh, 
issues for discussion there. They do seem to have bipartisan support. So I would imagine that in some form, much of this will get pushed through. Yeah. Okay. Anything else to close us out here? I think that's it for now, but we sure appreciate you joining. Yeah. Thanks for everybody for listening. And uh, like we like to say, that's, that's a wrap. wrap. Thanks for joining. Thanks.